0: You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Welcome to Terps and the Pros on the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Matt Levine and Jordan Gold with you today, and we'll start by recapping week five of the NFL for former Maryland football players. We'll start with Yannick Ngakwe of the Jacksonville Jaguars. He had arguably the best day for former Terps. Four tackles and two sacks against the Panthers. It was a
1: great day for Yannick. Um, He really found his groove again, which was nice after the rough starts of the season, which started in the offseason with that holdout, which he ended, which, you know, can hamper your uh, training camp. And then he comes in, he plays week one, but then injures his hamstring and misses a game in week two. So it was really nice to see Yannick get back on track with those two sacks, one of which was a big strip sack. Um, he did this in a loss against two other chirps in DJ Moore and Jermaine Carter, and uh, we saw on Instagram this week, uh, Yannick and Jermaine Carter, both very good friends, had a nice jersey swap after the game, you know, a real sentimental and cool moment, but it was really cool to see Yannick get back on track because he's such a great player, such a great guy, and he's... I really think he deserves uh, deserves a big contract, and he's not going to get that without a strong performance this season, so it's, it's nice to
0: see him get back on track. And there's a lot of turmoil surrounding Jalen Ramsey, the cornerback for this Jaguars team. He's an all-pro, one of the best in the league, but a lot of him saying he wants to be traded or he's demanding a trade. He then got sick, apparently, and then he had a child born, so There's a lot of stuff going on with him, and it's kind of interesting to see how Ngakwe and the rest of the Jaguars' defense has still performed well without him, despite all that news. It's a a good point you bring up there. I mean, before this game, the Jags had
1: won two in a row to even their record at 2-2, but now, obviously, with the loss of 2-3. But I think all things considered, with a lot of the drama surrounding their team, the injury to Nick Foles, the, those guys have stepped up. And it's good to see someone like Yannick, who's such a leader for that defense, you know, get back into a groove and get those two huge sacks, even though it's in a loss. They have a matchup next week against the Saints, which you know is a tough matchup. The Saints are a great team. But I think that uh, Yannick could definitely get back there and uh, make the day tough for uh, Teddy Bridgewater.
0: So we'll go right to Stefan Diggs. Arguably one of the best Terrapins in the NFL right now. And, I mean, coming into the year, he was a top 100 receiver, top 100 player in the NFL. And now it's really, it, it, there's a lot to talk about here, obviously, with, with Kirk Cousins not being able to throw the ball. But then all of a sudden, he looks to be the way he was a couple years ago, but it was all to Adam Thielen. Seven catches, 130 yards, and two touchdowns for Adam Thielen. Diggs just three catches for 44 yards on four targets. So, yes, he did have good production with the four targets, but I think it's still concerning that he only had four targets. And we'll get into, like, all the trade rumors and all that news after we discuss how he performed. I got to say, it's it's really concerning.
1: And like, like we've mentioned in the past, um, it is clear, no matter how well Kirk Cousins plays – this offense cannot support two-star receivers per game. And we've seen that every single game this season, that, that, that they cannot do that. And Cousins played well. They dominated the Giants. But it it was all to Adam Thielen, and that, in turn, really hurt Stefan Diggs. He goes for three catches, 44 yards, with only four targets. And, you know, that's – obviously it's not – The intent is to win the game, and they did that handedly, but that's that's not going to help when you're trying to repair a relationship with a disgruntled star, only getting him four targets. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens as the trade deadline um, heats up and gets here. But, I mean, like I said last week, I don't think Diggs really gets traded. Um, You see a video after the game, reporters ask him, do you want to be in Minnesota? And he said yes, but he gave a little wink. So you know, you never know what is going on, and digs his head there. But I think that I think the best fit for him is not in Minnesota. But I just I don't see him getting traded.
0: And I spoke about this last week: is that the Vikings have a really hard schedule ahead of them? They only play three more teams that have losing records currently which is an astonishing number. I mean, that just shows the kind of schedule they have this year and the division that they play in, I'd argue, is the best in football. So I think this was the game that Diggs had a chance to kind of go off, and he. I don't know if it was his fault for the Giants locked him down or if it's just what you said before, that the Vikings can't support two-star receivers, and they have two-star receivers. And week in week out, they haven't been able to utilize both and I think Diggs has gotten more of the, the tail end of that. Thielen's been producing a lot more. And also Dalvin Cook. I mean, you could argue he's the best running back right now in the league. And he dominates every single game. In this one, he had 21 rushes, 132 yards, and then six catches and 86 yards off those catches. So he had more catches and more yards than Diggs in the receiving game. So I think it's I, – I mean, I think you said it best. They can't support – two receivers. And I don't really know if he will get traded because the Vikings have said so many times they don't want to trade Diggs. Yeah, I mean, when you have a guy Diggs caliber, it's tough
1: It's tough to be like, we want to trade him. And, you know, it's also tough to get the return that you want to get. And I was seeing on Twitter this week, people were comparing it to the Amari Cooper trade last year, which the Raiders got a first round pick for Amari. So, I mean, that Diggs and Amari, they're two um, similar caliber players. So I think if Diggs were to get traded, the Vikings would certainly seek a first-round trade in return. And it's like, do you want to give up that first-round pick to get someone like Diggs who's really good, but is he worth giving up your first-round pick? And even if even if a team says, hey, we'll give up a first-round pick, who knows if the Vikings are going to want to trade their star receiver. So, you know, it's, it's going to be really interesting to watch. Um, I think it's kind of quieted down a little bit after the win, but... Uh, I, I don't think Diggs could be happy with his performance on Sunday, even though they get the win, and you know that's really all that matters, team game. But um, I just I just don't see how he's happy with the four targets, especially against a team like the Giants, who really struggle on defense and
0: particularly in the secondary. And Diggs, from what I've seen, has always been kind of a quiet guy. He just plays the game and doesn't really talk too much after that, but. Now we're starting to see, obviously, with all these rumors, I think he's kind of buying into them. I don't know if he created them so much. Obviously, he did on social media, but people blew all of that up. People said he's getting traded to the Patriots, everything on Twitter about that. And then he comes out, and Jordan said, winks at one of the reporters when he said, I want to stay in Minnesota. So I think he's kind of buying into it now and kind of making it bigger than it actually is. I definitely agree with you there. You know, he hasn't really done it so outwardly,
1: like how Jalen Ramsey is like, I want to be traded. My demand still stands, like that. But he's really kind of followed the athlete, the professional athlete playbook of like subtly requesting a trade with, you know, the tweet, the cryptic tweets, and the, you know, the um, open-ended answers to reporters, the winks. You know, it's he's really you know following it to a T, you know, to show that he he doesn't want to be there, and it's pretty clear and we'll see if that changes you know winning cures everything they have a tough divisional matchup against the lions this week we're coming off a bye but you know like matt said this is the toughest division in football and it's not going to get any easier for the vikings so you know it we'll see what happens i i don't i personally don't see this team making the playoffs i, I don't see it ending well with cousins i mean one game against the giants isn't going to change that he's throughout his career he's always shined against the sub 500 teams so you know when it really counts he uh uh does not rise to the occasion but we'll
0: see what happens but I just I don't see digs I don't see things ending well this year and we'll go back to the Jaguars Panthers game with DJ Moore wide receiver for the Carolina Panthers had a pretty good day six catches for 91 yards on eight targets which was obviously behind Christian McCaffrey's monster day for the Panthers
1: This was this was really encouraging to see. We had talked about it a lot last week about how Kyle Allen had yet to find that rapport with DJ Moore, and I think that we saw that um, today or on Sunday, especially against a tough secondary like the Jags and eight targets, second behind McCaffrey. That's really good. That's what you want to see out of your number one receiver, and he had a 52-yard catch, which was nice. And yeah, it's it's just good to see the volume, and it's good to see the yards. You know, not a touchdown, but can't complain when it's a you get 91 yards and you get the kind of volume that he did and obviously Christian McCaffrey him and Dalvin are the two best running backs in the league right now it's not even close and when I mean when you have a guy like Cam Newton out and you have a serviceable backup in Kyle Allen you're gonna run your offense through your best player and it's not a surprise that he's behind uh Christian McCaffrey and Christian McCaffrey kind of you know does it all for them which he should he's incredible incredible player i mean he has more yards from scrimmage alone this year than the entire new york jets team so um he's definitely someone that they should be relying on but it's it's really good to see dj Moore get back on track and i think hopefully this is a a step in the right direction for the future they play in london this week against the buccaneers at 9 30 a.m so you can wake up and watch dj Moore if you'd like this sunday but then they'll have a bye week after that and the Rumors have been maybe Cam, Cam Newton comes back after the bye week that we'll see what happens. But Kyle Allen has certainly proved to be serviceable. And, you know, this game, it
0: seems he has um, found a liking to DJ Moore, which is, is really good. And Darnell Savage of the Green Bay Packers suffered an injury scare in this one. From what I saw, I thought it was a, a leg injury, a knee, maybe a, t- a torn ACL, and ankle injury, but... It's not believed to be serious, and that's what Terps fans and Packers fans pray for, was that Darnell Savage did not get hurt too badly. And in this game, just one tackle, and then he went out with the injury. And I would said it once more, it's that I thought this injury was very serious right away, but thank God now it's believed to not be serious.
1: Yeah, every everyone really thought that this was uh, going to be a real serious injury, and it's it's nice it's really nice that it wasn't, but for for Savage, this is you know now two tough performances in a row. I mean, obviously not his fault, but the rookie of the year competition is really starting to heat up, and I don't know if I would consider him the favorite anymore. You see, Brian Burns has a great game. Um, he had a touchdown for the Panthers, and also Joey Bosa, or uh, excuse me, Nick Bosa. Um, really uh got his groove going Monday night against the uh against the Browns. So it's gonna be tough for Savage. Um looks like Bosa and and Burns have kinda taken the reins after Savage has been quiet the past two weeks. So we'll see if he can get back into that conversation. The Packers defense has, has still been really has been pretty solid so far. And I think that uh that'll help Savage and I think he's definitely gonna have a chance, but it's it's more of a it's less of a sh- obviously wasn't a sure thing a couple weeks ago but he's certainly not the front runner anymore for that defensive rookie of
0: the year trophy. And if he does play this week, he'll look to get back on track. Obviously, with that one tackle and then the injury, but I think what you said is is definitely right. He's gonna have to do a lot to kind of compete for this defensive rookie of the year. There, this this draft class was stacked in in terms of defense, and I think it'll be pretty. Pretty tough but we'll see how that plays out and JC Jackson lastly for the New England Patriots who had probably the biggest day of the year for former Terps last week this week just two tackles so like I said he's always been kind of quiet and then he had that monster game and now here he has another quiet game so I asked you this week Jordan but do you think he'll kind of be up and down with those big games and then and then not so good performances but I think it kind of stays as he has one huge game and then a couple of weeks of kind of being quiet. I de- I definitely agree with
1: that, but also it kind of comes with the position. Um, cornerback is a position where you know sometimes your greatness isn't really showcased in the stat sheet. Uh, the best example of that always as a Jets fan watching Darrell Revis, lockdown corner, he'd lock down the best receivers, but he wouldn't you know really record any stats because they weren't throwing the ball to him I and mean, this week with just the two tackles no other stats recorded I think that is um, partially a product of playing the Redskins who are you know just awful and they probably weren't completing many passes near Jackson so I think that's probably more of an explanation but also I, I do agree with uh, you know he's going to have these big weeks and he's also going to have these quiet weeks um, you saw Jason McCordy, who's ahead of JC on the depth chart get an interception in this game so I I, I do think that that Patriots defense is loaded, and right now it's the best defense in the league, so I think it's just going to be a week-by-week basis to see how well Jackson does. There will be
0: those big weeks, and there will be these quiet weeks. And Jackson and the New England Patriots stayed in the hotel in College Park over the weekend when they took on the Redskins, so I thought that was kind of interesting that they could have stayed closer to the stadium, maybe somewhere even in D.C. and taken a bus to the game, but they chose to stay in College Park, which is, the hotel is basically on the campus of Maryland, and it was kind of interesting to see J.C. Jackson come back.
1: That's really cool. Um, you know, this they weren't the first NFL team to stay at the hotel. I think it makes a lot of sense. on Last year, the Falcons stayed here, and actually over the summer, the Arsenal soccer team stayed here when they were playing a friendly at uh, FedEx Field. And I think it makes a lot of sense, honestly, because it's, closer to the stadium than a DC hotel would be and it's pretty nice so it's pretty cool to see these NFL teams uh pulling up in College Park I just hope uh when the Jets are here in a couple weeks uh they'll be staying at the hotel that would be pretty cool
0: and then we'll go into how Jackson is well Jackson's taking on the Giants now on Thursday night football which is tonight and I think that's another game where we might not see him have too many stats because, I mean, obviously the Giants are a much better team than the Redskins, but I still think it's a game where the Patriots are going to walk all over them on both sides of the ball. So that we'll see that tonight on Thursday Night Football. Not too many other guys in the NFL had good weeks, so we'll get right into NBA preseason action, which kicked off this past couple days. And I'll start with the biggest name, Kevin Herter, who – did not play in game one or game two for the Atlanta Hawks with some knee pain, and he is expected to miss most, if not all of the preseason, but I don't find this concerning because everyone seems to think he'll be back for the regular season.
1: Yeah, this doesn't seem too concerning at all. Uh, it sucks that he's missing the preseason. Obviously we'd want to see him get some action, but uh, health is most important and we want him to be ready for the regular season. And, uh, he had that big uh, Bleacher Report video come out uh, come out this week. Uh, that was pretty cool. He's got a new nickname, Red Velvet. Um, it's also it's it's cool to see someone like Herter you know, g- garnering that national attention, having a video like this come out that you know that's posted from the main Bleacher Report account. I, I just think it's cool to see um, how big Herter has kind of got after turning in that all rookie
0: second team rookie season. Um, I, was just, I, I thought it was really cool. And then his two teammates, obviously, one of which being Alex Len, a former Terp, also on the Hawks. He had a pretty good game, 14 points, three rebounds in 15 minutes. And then he started the second game. Didn't start the first game, but in game two, two points and three rebounds. So I think in game one, obviously, you got to look at that, 14 points and three rebounds in just 15 minutes. That's very promising from the big man.
1: This is this is really interesting to me. And that is to see if Alex Len will be the starting center in Atlanta. He's in a battle right now with uh Deontay Jones. And I think that uh it's gonna be a tough one for him. Jones he's a pretty solid player, he's athletic, came from the Warriors, they got him for Omari Spellman. But I mean I I think that Len is the better player and deserves to be the starter. He had that good game off the bench in game one, but then struggled a little bit in game two. Jones has been playing more than him, but um, I think that's just more a product of the preseason than I, don't, I wouldn't read too much into that, but I th- I think Len should be the starter, but uh, we'll see what uh, Coach Lloyd Pierce does. And with Bruno, um, two solid performances, he's not playing crazy minutes, but um, obviously, got better from game one to game two, and um, he had a couple cool dunks. And also, I've seen a lot from the Hawks writers on Twitter who've been at practice in the games that he's been. He's really been working on that three point shot. And from the videos, it hasn't been incredible yet, but it's good to see that he that he is you know found that as a real weakness in his game and something that he wants to really improve as he gets to the next level.
0: I think he is a uh, deep-range shot or a long-range shot away from being up there to start for the Hawks. I mean, he's one of the better inside players I've seen. and He's a, he, he's a huge body. He has very good ball-handling skills. We saw that. There's videos all over Twitter that he had a spin move that led him to the rim and then had a dunk. He had a put-back dunk yesterday. So, I mean, it's a lot of... He, he's very skilled. I think he can eventually start for this Hawks team if he develops that shot. For sure. And just real quick, I just want to correct myself. The center on the Hawks at Atlanta is competing
1: with Damian Jones, not Deontay. So my bad on that. But I do think that Bruno, I think that they drafted Bruno as someone who they see as potentially a fit to be that center in that offense next to John Collins for the future. It's obviously not going to be this season he'll be starting, but I think that down the road, I think that they they envision Bruno as a key cog to this uh, young core that is
0: uh, fueled by a couple Terps. And lastly, Jake Layman of now the Minnesota Timberwolves this summer was sent there, and he came from the Portland Trailblazers, but he had six points two rebounds, and two assists in 17 minutes of action. So it's kind of nice to see for him that he's getting a lot of minutes. 17, which is he wasn't utilized at all basically in the playoffs for the Trailblazers, and now has a new team with the Timberwolves. I mean, I don't know how much he's going to play here, but interesting to see that he did get 17 minutes in this preseason game.
1: Uh, Very interesting to see. I think that... Lehman, well, he's probably not gonna be a starter there. I think that he is gonna be someone who is playing a key role off the bench. And Layman's Lehman's a good player. He didn't always get the best the biggest opportunity um when he was with the Blazers. But I think that the Timberwolves are a team, they're young, they're probably not gonna make the playoffs, but they're they're going they're looking for guys who are gonna be mainstays for them in the future. And I think that they they believe in Jake and I think that he should play a key role for them. Um, they they have some talent on that roster. I mean, everybody in the West can really compete. It's, it's pretty crazy. Even even the worst teams, like the Suns, you know, have gotten better, and they're going to give you a run for your money for sure. So it'll be interesting to see where the T-Wolves finish. I mean, th- that conference is loaded. I don't see a path to the playoffs for them. But you never know. And I think that Lehman will play a big role
0: for them. And tonight, Lehman takes on the Golden State Warriors. Obviously, we know how good they are, so that'll be interesting to see how he performs in that game. And we'll get right in to arguably the biggest news for former Maryland Terrapins. The WNBA Finals going to a deciding Game 5 tonight, series tied at 2 between the Washington Mystics and Connecticut Sun, and this really has been a series back and forth. But Alyssa Thomas of the Sun has really headlined it, in my opinion. Thirteen points, nine assists, eight rebounds in the game three loss and in game four, they won. It was seventeen points, eleven assists, and eight rebounds. So nearly a triple double in all in both of those games, game three and game four. And I really don't see too many women's basketball players in the WNBA record triple doubles. You don't see it that often. So Alyssa Thomas really has taken this league by storm and has shown the kind of dominance she has in the WNBA finals. It's good to see, uh, you know, the Terps going to war and very cool
1: to see that they will be facing off tonight in the deciding game five. And I agree with Matt. I think the most impressive player that we've seen has been Alyssa Thomas. She's really everywhere in the stat sheet. Also, Chrissy Tolliver has played really well for the mystics. She had 20 and 10, 20 points, 10 rebounds in their, 10 assists, I mean, in their Game 3 win. And then in the loss, she uh, only had 7 points and 5 assists. And that's something we've seen throughout the playoffs. When they when they win and when they play well, it seems Tolliver plays well. And when they lose, it seems she doesn't play well. So definitely something to keep an eye on in Game 5. Um, Mystics came in as the favorite. Um, but I think either way, Terps fans, I mean, unless you're uh, Die hard Mystics fan or diehard Sun fan, if you're just a Terp fan who loves basketball who doesn't really have a dog in the fight, I think that you can be happy either way with how this series goes, because in the end, Maryland players are going to win. And that's
0: exactly what the head coach of Maryland women's basketball, Brenda Fries, said, she said, in the end, they're going to watch Maryland Terrapins cut down the net. So we'll play you a clip from her speaking to the NCAA reporters for women's basketball.
1: Well, you know, first of all, it's a, a coach's dream. And, you know, those five players, you know, it's not a surprise. I mean, the, the uh, supr- you know, what they were able to do here in their time in Maryland, uh, now to be able to move on to their dreams and their goals and to watch them living it out is really surreal, you know, that we have five playing for a title. Whoever wins, uh, we're going to watch, uh, you know,
0: Maryland Terrapins uh, cutting down the nets. So something that we're really proud of. So I think that says it best in the kind of program that she has built here. She's one of the best coaches in college basketball for women's and even men's too. But I think she has some former players playing, and I think she really has built a great relationship with everyone she coaches. So she took some of the, the current Terrapins to Game 1, I believe, which was in D.C. So she's really having her team currently support these former Maryland Terrapins. It's really cool to see,
1: and it's something hopefully one day we can see with uh, the NBA and the NFL, you know, so many Terps facing off in such a big game like this. And I think it's something we, we hopefully will see um, as these as the players get better that are coming to Maryland, especially on the football side. But I, I just think it's, it's really cool to see um, all these Terps going at it and cool to see how the program has really embraced them all and supported both teams and they're just they're gonna be happy no matter who wins and because there's gonna be terps who are winning and i think uh if the sun win i think there's certainly a case for Alyssa thomas to maybe be that uh finals mvp
0: certainly and another player on the suns brianna jones her sister stephanie jones is currently on the women's basketball team here at maryland entering her senior season and she also sat down with the same reporters that Brenda Fries did. So I'll play you a clip from what her sister, Brianna, means to her. So she graduated three years ago. Um, she went here, too. And she's in the WNBA now playing for the Connecticut Sun. And... I mean, she's been a big role model my whole life. So, I mean, just seeing what she has gone through and like, just how hard she plays and her effort, like she never quits. So um, just having her as a role model growing up has been great. So you see it there. I mean, the impact that not only because they're family members, but former Terps as well, all these former Terps in the WNBA impacting the current women's basketball team here. So I think it's a great story that at least – Two for the Sun and a little more for the Mystics. If either, Whichever team wins, they'll be cutting down the net as champions of women's basketball. So, I mean, the, the favorite now in the MLB, the, the old favorite to win the World Series is now knocked out. So I think it might be a little hard for a Maryland Terrapin to cut, or not cut down the nets, but it's baseball, but to win the World Series in baseball now, win another championship. So really, I think the only championship could possibly be in the NFL, but it's definitely in the WNBA. And I think now we'll go to the MLB. And we'll talk about the Dodgers first, as I think Adam Kalarik had one of the better performances in the series with the Nationals. But last night he was not used, and we saw what happened there. Certainly interesting. Kalarik uh, has really
1: developed into a, you know, a. Uh, as a situational pitcher where they bring him in for one batter to record that out, and then he leaves the field, which is something you won't see next year because the MLB is changing the rule to where a pitcher has to pitch to, um, they have to pitch to, I think, at least three batters. Now it's, it's one batter, so that role will not even exist next year. But Kalaric had really developed a strong... He, he's pitching so well against... Juan Soto, who's obviously one of the Nationals' best players, and uh, Soto comes to bat. They had Kershaw in. He pitched great. The first inning, he pitched, and then they bring him out for that second against the meat of the order, and you see Rendon take him deep for that solo bomb to make it 3-2, to two, and then Soto steps up, and people were wondering on Twitter, like, are they going to bring in Calaric? Are they going to bring in Clark? Because Calaric, they had faced three times already in this series, and Calaric, they had been battles, and Calaric had got him out every single time, so it, you know, had really appeared to be, uh, Clark was uh, Soto's kryptonite there, but they stick with Kershaw, which how can you not stick with Kershaw? It's Kershaw. But, we see what happens, Soto hits the home run, and then they bring in Joe Kelly, and, uh, Kendrick hits the grand slam, and That's that. The Dodgers are done, just like that, and the Nationals win their first ever playoff series.
0: I think it's, I mean, obviously Kershaw is one of the best regular season pitchers ever, but he's never been a good postseason pitcher. He chokes every single season. So I would have personally went with Kolarik to pitch against Soto. We saw he struck him out twice, got him out the other time. So three straight times he faced him in this series, he got him out every single time. And I think you got to go back to that and just get the guy out. And unfortunately for him, the Dodgers didn't go to him. And now they are out of the playoffs. And they were the favorite side from Houston to win the World Series. They were favorite in the NL, at least. So I think now it'll be kind of tough to see a former Terp win the World Series because Brandon Lau, I mean, they're going to a game five with the Astros. But I'd be shocked if the Rays get to the World Series. I mean, I think the Astros should have won this series in three, and they didn't, and they looked pretty bad in game four. Verlander got rocked a little bit. That was off short rest, but Brandon Lau's had a pretty good series. He has four hits in this one, 19 at-bats, and he hit a home run as well in game three. So, I mean, Lau has really shown when he's healthy, I mean, this is just his rookie year, and he was an all-star. So when he's healthy, he's played really, really well. Um,
1: I you got to give the Rays credit where credit's due, they have really battled against Houston and shows you the Rays are a really good team. They battled all year long in one of the toughest divisions in baseball in the AL East, and their pitching's great, their lineup's really good, and they're taking the Astros to five games, which you got to give them a lot of credit for. And with Lau, it's good to see that home run. It kind of sucks, he's only batting 211, but he's been productive. I think think that's a lot to do with him you know, rushing to come back from an injury, but hopefully Lau can have an impact tonight, and the winner will get to face the Yankees in the ALCS. And uh, speaking of the Yankees, they swept the Twins, which is obviously Lamont Wade Jr.'s team, but Wade was not on the playoff roster, so he did not have any sort of impact in that series, which the Yankees dominated.
0: So, prediction for tonight, do the Astros win or do the Rays win? You
1: know, last time I made a prediction on this podcast, uh, I said the A's were going to beat the Rays in the wild card game, so it didn't really fare too well for me. But I'm pretty confident that the Astros uh, get the W tonight. Unfortunately for Lau, they have Garrett Cole on the mound, the probable Cy Young Award winner. He's gonna get a huge contract this offseason. He's pitching in the biggest stage playoff baseball. I just I think he gets it done in a dominant way against this Rays team. I think the Rays are good. I think it's really cool what they've done. Manager Kevin Cash is one of the best in the business. But I I don't think it is. Uh, I don't think it is the Rays' year.
0: Uh, do we have any predictions on Brandon Lau's performance tonight? Ah. Uh,
1: say he gets a hit. I don't know how big that hit is, but I think think he'll get on board and maybe get a hit. But Cole has just been so dominant. I just, I can't see the Rays going into Houston and beating them. But you never know. You really never know. They, you probably would have said going into game four, there's no way that Verlander gets shelled and they lose that game. So you really never know. It's playoff baseball. We saw that last night with the Nationals that, um, even the best teams in the brightest lights of their home field can you know choke it away so we'll see what happens Nationals played great and the Rays have been playing great so
0: we'll see what happens and I always like to kind of end this podcast in full circle and go back to football and make a prediction on who the biggest who, who which will have the biggest impact best performance this week going into week 6 uh so just a quick correction from earlier I had said that The Vikings were playing the Lions this
1: week, which is wrong. They're playing the Eagles. Uh, They play the Lions next week, and Savage and the Packers are actually going up against the Lions on Monday night. But with that said, I think that this week is a great. Great matchup for our Terp receivers. Stefan Diggs going against a really banged-up Eagles secondary, and also DJ Moore going up against the Bucks in London, which is also not a great secondary. So I think it's one of those guys who's having the biggest weekend. I'm going to go with Diggs because just like what we said earlier, that offense can't support two receivers, and I think, hey, maybe it's Diggs' week up against the really uh, banged-up Eagles secondary. And I think they they need to get Diggs involved if they want to keep Diggs happy because that's that's something you want you you need your you need your star players happy and he's clearly not happy so Cousins definitely needs to make an emphasis of at least getting him more than four targets so uh, those trade rumors can maybe continue to die down.
0: Last time the Panthers played the Buccaneers, the Buccaneers won twenty to fourteen. But I think this time around, I think it'll be a little bit. More high scoring. I think the Buccaneers, that was the lowest points they've allowed all season is 14. So, I mean, this one I'm expecting DJ Moore to really pop off and have a very, very solid day against the Buccaneers defense. They have a good pass defense, but they're always playing in shootouts, it seems like. So, I think that D.J. Moore will have a solid deck.
1: And that, um, that first game against the Bucks, Moore played really well. It was actually a tough game for the Panthers. That was the last time Cam Newton played, and Cam just he looked absolutely awful in that game. He was missing every throw. He was so inaccurate. He couldn't move at all. I mean, the Panthers, just they just looked so not themselves, and obviously they've won every game since. But Moore, that game, had nine catches for 89 yards on 14 targets. So... I think that that is something, going against the Bucs, I think that's something he can really exploit. And I think that Moore's going to have a, a really solid performance. Um, I don't know if it's his uh, first time headed to London, but that's pretty cool that they get to play there this week. And like I said, that game is at 9.30 a.m. So you can wake up and watch the Terps with uh, DJ Moore and Jermaine Carter playing in that game against uh,
0: the Bucks. So that will do it for this edition of Terps in the Pros. Stay tuned for more NBA preseason action and obviously the deciding game of the WNBA finals tonight. Find out which Terps get to cut down the nets. And then obviously week six of the NFL will have coverage for all of that. So stay tuned with Testudo Times and thanks for joining us on Terps in the Pros.